God, we thank you because you're alive. You're a living God. You're a God who talks, a God who answers, a God who moves, a God who hears, a God who changes situations, and most of all, you change lives. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We want you to be alive in us. God, we are praying that you would live in us, move in us, and that we would live in you and find our whole meaning for existence in you, O God. Father, we thank you for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in these last days. We praise you for the freedom, the liberty that your Spirit is bringing into our lives. Freedom to live for you. Freedom from sin. Freedom to be who you created us to be, O God. Oh, Lord, we thank you. We praise you for the testimonies. Thank you for the amazing things that you do in the lives of your children, O God. Lord, just simple people, humble people. But, Lord, when we surrender to you, you make us signs and wonders. You make us supernatural people, O God. Lord, and you are so longing to do that in each one of our lives. We hunger. We thirst for more of you. Open our eyes. Open our hearts, open our ears today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. You may be seated. It would be an understatement to say that we had an amazing time this past weekend. We had um, three main churches that sponsored this event. They're not the same denomination. They're not related in any way, shape, or form. They're separate, distinct churches, and yet... What we see happening there is a total breakdown of this normal denominational barrier between churches. And we actually had about 10 different pastors all together in the meetings there. All different churches. Not, I don't think any two were from the same church. Even the two speakers, Tom and I, are from two separate churches. And uh, nobody belongs to anything. It wasn't, you know, an official New Life Ministries convention where we discuss New Life Ministries business and all that. It wasn't anything like that. It was just people from different churches, different places, different backgrounds, all with one common goal and desire. They're hungry for the Lord. They're tired of religion. They're, quite frankly, they're like me tired of the denominational death that we've seen over the years in religion. And you know, I believe God, in the little bit of time that he has left, he's gathering together those people that have that desire, they have that hunger, and they have that thirst. And it was amazing. We had Pentecost. We had Pentecost. We didn't try to drum it up. We didn't try to plan. These weren't even revival meetings. This wasn't planned to be a revival or some kind of a Holy Ghost weekend. The uh, pastor we soon, when he planned these meetings, he actually called them, what was it? Intensive ministers training. Intensive ministers training. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Basically all day. Well, God had other things in mind besides training. And meeting after meeting we would finish speaking and just sit down. No music, no CDs, no screen, nothing. Just a room with chairs and people. We would finish talking, sit down, and the Holy Spirit would fall. And people would begin to cry, fall on the floor. Visions, prophecies, and amazing, 
amazing revelations God began to give to different ones, especially the young people. I was really glad that Pastor Quasi and Fauci were able to go, and I was praying, and every once in a while I was nudging them, saying, I hope you're watching, I hope you're taking all this in, because it was a real teaching, not just the sessions and the meetings, but the whole weekend was God teaching us some things about what he wants to do in these last days. The, the testimony of the young people, I think, inspires me more than anything. And if there's one word that I hardly ever find myself using anymore in reference to young people, but it describes what God is doing there is purity, purity. And I realized what a rare commodity in the earth it is to find pure young people. And these young women and young men, no guile, no hypocrisy, no fake, you know, fake it on Sunday because you've got to go to church and, you know, you're out smoking weed and cursing and drinking the rest of the week. These kids are pure. They're purely and madly in love with Jesus. And they're not just there because their parents are or their parents are even forcing them to. They love God and they know how much God loves them. And it was so inspiring for me to see that kind of purity in young people. When I say young, I'm talking kids in their 20s, maybe even upwards into 30 or so. But these are young men and young women that are serious about God. And I have no doubt. God is preparing an army from that place that's going to go out. And there are already doors opening to many nations. And this wasn't just a cute little weekend revival. This was a real move of God. And it's just the beginning. And I believe we're going to see much, much more in coming days and weeks. There's an interesting common denominator that I see that's bringing all these different pastors together. They've all been broken. They've been crushed. They've basically come to a place where they quit. They gave it up. They thought God was finished with them. And God says, now we can work. (laughs) And Pastor Quasi and Fauci don't even know the depths of some of the things these men down there have suffered to bring them to the place where they are now. And it brought tears to my eyes. It really did, just seeing how they're working together as one. And, you know, Pastor Tom shared a thought in one of the meetings down there. And this, I'm just going to ramble this morning. I don't even know if I have a definite message. But this really spoke to me all weekend. And I came back with this challenge in my heart. Everybody knows the story of the Tower of Babel, right, in Genesis 11. Well, there's one sentence there I want to bring to your attention. These were wicked people who were basically uniting in rebellion against God, and God had to scatter them. But listen to what it says. The whole world had one language and a common speech. They were united. They were one. And their intentions are wrong. Their motivations are wrong. They're saying, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so we may make a name for ourselves. There's nothing in there about let's glorify God, let's do this for the Lord. Their whole purpose was wrong. But listen, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people 
speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. Let me read this again to you slowly and let it sink in and think about the church. Think about why Satan has tried so hard to divide up the church and to break up the unity that God so longs to see in his church. If as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing. What's nothing? But I mean, not nothing. I mean, nothing? Then nothing they plan, or I think King James may say imagine, none of their wildest plans or imaginations, nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Now, bring this over into the church age. We are not trying to make a name for ourselves. We want to glorify God. We want to bring the glory of God down into this world. We want to see sinners saved, the sick healed. We want to see God's name glorified. We want to see the devil and all of his demons bound and destroyed. If we as one, what's going to happen to our plans? These are wicked people, but because of their unity, nothing else, just because of their unity, nothing that they plan to do will be impossible for them. Man, if the church would really get with God's program. And we would stop doing our own thing, stop every man for himself. Everybody's got his own little revelation, his own little way of doing things. Everybody's in it for himself. I'm going to make a name for myself. Oh, we heard a new term this weekend from Pastor Wieson. You know, we heard all this boasting, oh, the international ministry of so-and-so. Well, Wieson took it to a whole new level, the galactic ministry you know new life galactic ministries all of our boasting and pride we want to make a name for ourselves it's all garbage and god's going to pull it all down anyway but he is going to find people that want to be one heart and one mind because they have a pure love for jesus christ those people are going to do great exploits in these last days nothing that they plan Nothing that they imagine will be impossible for them. And so, think about it. One of the first criticisms that the unsaved bring up when you try to witness to them, well, you, look at you Christians. You're all, all divided. There's like 7,000 different churches. Presbyterian, Methodist, Pentecostal, Charismatic, Catholic Charismatic, and on and on and on and on and on it goes. And each one has drawn a line in the sand. You over there, I'm over here. We can't work together. We can't do anything together. And the devil laughs. Now, this doesn't work. Nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them? No. Quite the contrary. Most of their plans will be impossible. Because they're all divided up and they're not representing Christ the way he wants to be represented in the world. We need to really make this a serious matter of prayer. This really challenged me over the weekend. And it caused me to really cry out to God, Lord, tear down all the barriers, tear down all the walls, whatever it is that's dividing us, heal it. Help us to reconcile. Help us to forgive. Pray that churches and pastors... You know, 
I wish every pastor could go down there and see how these different churches and men of God are working together. I wish they could go down and see it. Because a lot of them don't believe that it's possible. They really, they've, all they've ever known is this sectarian, you know, divided up kind of a church where, oh, you're, you're a member of uh, Escape Church and I'm a member of New Life? No, nah, we, we really can't work together. Uh, you know, our bylaws and our, our doctrines and all this garbage is different. You know, some pastors have never known the freedom that we enjoyed this weekend. Nobody cared. I, nobody even asked me what church I was from. Nobody cared. They were just loving Jesus, and nobody was asking, okay, who's in charge here? Who's sponsoring this event? Nobody cared about any of that. The Spirit of God there was there. The love of God was there. And it. I pray that that can be a real model and motivation for us as we move forward with God to really see this kind of, of unity. And... Let me, let me just share a couple of different experiences that were like highlights for me. Uh, most of it's centered around the young people. It just blesses me to see how they are so passionate using their gifts, music, talents, whatever they have. They're all out for Jesus. And God is going to continue to multiply that and use that. And like Fauci said, this all started with one person witnessing the one person at work. And over a period of time, that one person finally got saved. Then they started working on the next person at work. He got saved. And like a fire, it just finally broke out. And more and more and more are coming from that, from that workplace and, of course, other places as well. We were in prayer one night. Actually, people lined up, and they were coming forward for prayer. And there is a Colombian couple uh, when Shireen and I were down there in November, we visited their home. Very lovely people. And I didn't even know this, but he had been longing for so long to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues. He had never received that before. And so as we're praying for him, I didn't, I didn't even know that. I just assumed he already had the Holy Spirit because as soon as we started praying for him, he started speaking in tongues. Well, later on... Pastor Wison's son, Abraham, came to me. This boy has a real gift. He's seeing visions regularly in the church and even outside of the church. But he came to me. He says, Pastor, when you all were praying for that brother, I had a vision of his brain. I'm like, oh, that sounds weird. <laughs> he says, at first I thought it was weird too, but then I realized it was God. He said, I could see inside of his skull, and I saw all these little gears turning, you know, like a watch. And then I realized he's trying to reason things out. That's what's blocking the Holy Spirit from really flowing through his life. And then he said, all of a sudden, I saw a hole blown into the side of his skull and fire went in. And as soon as that fire went into his head, he started speaking in tongues. Well, he went and shared that vision with this man. And the man was just totally blown away. He took out his business card. He actually has his own business. He travels a lot internationally. And the logo for his business is three little gears. And Abraham had no idea of even knowing about those gears. But God was just there like that all weekend saying, I'm here. I know your name. I know your address. I know exactly what's going on in your life. And I want you to know that I know. Because I want you to know how much I want an intimate 
relationship with you. And, I mean, we had surprises all weekend long. Uh, God was speaking to me. I'm still processing a lot of things. But we're in one meeting, and this young man, young relatively to myself, he's in his 40s, he comes over to me and says, you remember me? I hate that question now because usually I can't. He says, well, I'm so-and-so. Well, in 1983-84, I went out to San Francisco, California and helped start a church there. And one of the first families that joined the church, this guy was a little 13-year-old in that family at the time. And here he is 30 years later living in Florida, and he came to our meeting. I, I don't even know how he showed up there. I don't, I don't know what the connection was. But it, it was just things like that all weekend where the Lord was saying, I know, I know exactly who you are, what you've been doing. I'm on it. I'm on everything. I'm in control. I know what you're doing, where you're at, what you need. I'm right here, very present with you. It was it was just an awesome, awesome time. And you know, on the day of Pentecost, I'm, I'm not using that word lightly when I said we had Pentecost. Did we have Pentecost? Where's Fauci? He went out. Did we have Pentecost? I mean, we had kids that were just burning. They felt like they were on fire. One morning, Pastor Tom preached on Aaron's rod budding. And he said, God spoke to me early this morning that someone in here, their rod is going to bud. I thought, that's strange. I've never heard that before. I'm sitting there. And Pastor Tom finished speaking, and they would take like a short break, and then I would get up and speak. Well, in between that break, the pastor's son came up, and he said, that's me. That's me. He says, I feel like fire burning inside me ever since you said that about the rod budding. And this boy, I mean, totally, totally transformed since we were down there in November. He's a whole different man now. All he wants to do is serve the Lord. And matter of fact, you'll probably be meeting him soon. I think he's going to be coming up here in the next month or so. So get ready. On the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, I just want to, I want to point out something about what happened. Of course, you all know they had been waiting, praying, seeking the Lord. God poured out his spirit. They were all baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues. And people came from all around when they heard the noise. And they began to ask, what is this? What's going on here? And Peter stood up and explained it to them. In Acts 2, verse 15, they were thinking that all the disciples were drunk because of the way they were acting. Peter says, these men are not drunk as you suppose. Notice that. He didn't say they're not drunk, period. They're not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. And, you know, if you read through the four Gospels, Peter doesn't exactly seem to be a real theological school graduate. He doesn't seem to know the Bible very well. He doesn't even understand anything Jesus is talking about. And all of a sudden, when the Holy Spirit comes on this man, he's quoting verbatim Joel chapter 2. And Peter says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Notice it starts with the kids. Pay close attention to that. I believe the last days revival is going to be similar to this, and we're going to see a visitation on our sons and daughters. That's why the devil's fighting our kids so hard. He knows this. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And even Pastor Quasi and Wayne might dream a dream here and then. Old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I want to share just a brief synopsis of a word I brought to the church down there last Sunday. And this is not just a cute message. I really believe it's prophetic. I really believe it describes what God is wanting to do. And it certainly describes what we saw happening down there in Florida. And if you'll turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 47. I've probably heard 20 different sermons over the years from this chapter. Uh, You might have even heard me preach on it before. Basically, Ezekiel sees the temple, and he sees water flowing out from the temple, and then a man keeps measuring further and further out into the water, first up to the ankles, then to the knees, then to the waist, and finally the water is so deep he can't stand it anymore. All he can do is swim. But there are a couple of things that I had never paid attention to in this chapter, and I want to highlight them very quickly this morning. Ezekiel 47. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. That's very significant. Remember the east. Toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was flowing from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line, remember again, east. He's going eastward. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits. And then he led me through water that was ankle deep. Okay? He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, Son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the sea. When it empties into the sea, and in context, this is referring to the Dead Sea, the Salt Sea. Some Bibles may translate it. When it empties into the Dead Sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Engeleum. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds like the fish of the great sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, 
nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. The tabernacle of Moses and every temple thereafter was always built so that it faced toward the east. And we're told in the book of Numbers the reason why, because that's where the sun rises. The temple was always facing toward the rising of the sun. And I believe the perspective that you and I need in these last days, the perspective that the church has lost I'm not talking about New Life Church. The church in general has lost is looking toward the dawning of that new day when Christ arises, when Christ comes. The the church is looking here, it's looking there. In some cases, it's turned its back on the coming of the Lord. The fact still remains, Jesus is coming soon. And one of the uniting factors in this last great move of God, will indeed be our intense love for his return. The Bible says the spirit and the bride say, come. That's the attitude that God is looking for in these last days. Make sure you build your little temple and it's facing east. You know, you are a temple. I am a temple. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Make sure the orientation of your life is toward the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of bad things happen to good Christians when they get their eyes off of the coming of the Lord. Jesus gave several parables about that. They begin to beat each other, get drunk, fall into all kinds of carnality and worldliness. The coming of the Lord, it's amazing how it purifies your life. If you really believe, that Jesus might come today. If today's your last day to do anything, how would it change the way you're living? Hmm. Think about that one. We should really think like that, not only every day, but every moment. Because Jesus can and will indeed come just when we don't think he's going to come. So be ready, be ready, be ready. So here's this temple. It's facing east. But something more profound is happening in Ezekiel's vision. This river of life that's flowing from the temple, which direction is it moving in? East. Uh Uh-huh. The river that Ezekiel is seeing here is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you don't believe me on that, turn to John chapter 7, and you'll find this kind of terminology is all throughout the New Testament. We just read one such passage in Acts 2. I will pour out my spirit. Well, normally when you're using the word pour, you're referring to a liquid, aren't you? I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. But Jesus removes all doubt here in John 7 as to the identity of the river. John chapter 7, read from verse 37 to 39. And let's put it up in King James. I just, I learned this first in King James and I like the language better. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. By the way, in context, this was a seven-day feast. All they've been doing for seven days and nights is eating and drinking and feasting. 
And by no accident or coincidence, Jesus waits until the last day of the feast to stand up. Is anybody here still thirsty? Lord, we sure have drunk a lot these last seven days. We've eaten a lot too. And what I really think he's saying, is anybody here thirsty for more than what you've been having here in this feast? Is anybody longing for something more than what the flesh and the world can offer you? You know, as I travel around and I talk to different people, I see more and more clearly there are two different groups. There's a very large group, to be frank with you, they don't care. They're not thirsty. They're not hungry. They're not the least bit interested in the things of God. And there's another group that's hearing this call. They're thirsty. They want more of Jesus. They want more of God in their lives. They will not be satisfied with where they are. They want more. And to be honest with you, I've decided to devote most of my time and attention to that second group, the people that are hungry and thirsty for God. Anybody thirsty? Let him come to me and drink. What are we going to drink? He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall come a couple of drops of water. Right? Out of his belly, not out of Florida, not out of Azusa Street, but out of his own belly will flow rivers of living water. This is water that brings life. And the river Ezekiel saw, it brings life wherever it goes. It brings healing wherever it goes. It transforms stinky, dead, salty places into fresh, fruitful, and living places. Let me tell you once again, the river that Ezekiel saw is flowing eastward. What's this river doing? Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. He still hasn't told us what the rivers are. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. There is a river that will satisfy you like no other. And you will never be truly satisfied until you tap into that river. The river Ezekiel saw, it's flowing, it's moving, and it's growing. How do we know it's growing? How do we know that river Ezekiel saw is growing? Because every time he goes a thousand cubits further toward the east, the water is getting deeper until finally it's over his head. The river is getting broader, it's getting deeper, it's growing, it's flowing, and it's moving. And wherever it goes, it brings life. God spoke to me very clearly down in Florida. We're getting close to the coming of the Lord. And the closer we get to the east, the closer we get to the return of Jesus Christ, the deeper the river of God becomes. There's a deeper and a stronger flow of the Holy Spirit for those that are thirsty. For those that are hearing that call to be the bride of Christ. Remember, the spirit and the bride say, come. Matter of fact, let's put that up. Revelation twenty-two seventeen, And notice in the very same verse, it also talks about taking of the water of life freely. The spirit and the bride say, wait, Jesus, give me a little more time. I need to get my act together. I'm kind of backslidden right now, but I'm, I'm planning on getting revived later this year once I finish some unfinished business. No. Spirit and the bride say, come now. 
And let him who hears say, come. Where have I heard this next part? Whoever is what? Do we have any thirsty people here? Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the expensive gift. Right? You have to get in the $10,000 line for this gift. No. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Spirit, bride, water. River flowing toward the east. This river is getting stronger and it's carrying things with it. You know why? Because once it's over your head, you lose control. Oh, we don't like to lose control, do we? First, he comes up to the ankles. You know, we first get saved. We're just kind of dipping our toes in the water to see how it feels. We're, we're getting our feet wet. Then we get a little deeper and it's up to our knees. And, you know, you've probably heard all the interpretations. Knees speak about prayer or you come into a prayer life. I don't know about all that. makes for a nice sermon. That, that's not really the part I'm trying to highlight here. Finally, it's up to your waist, up to your loins. Loins sometimes represents battle or giving birth. We come to a place where we're really beginning to enter into spiritual warfare and we're birthing new children into the kingdom of God. But my favorite part is the fourth stage. It says it's a river deep enough to swim in. We lose control. We are immersed. We are drenched. We are completely dunked in the river. That, by the way, is what Jesus spoke of in another place. John baptized with water, but I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Same word, baptize. Doesn't mean sprinkle. It doesn't mean, you know, take a little pan of water and go, okay, Quasi, I baptize you. No, we need a tank deep enough or a creek deep enough to get Matt all the way under. And he put us to great trouble to do that last spring. Seemed like it was still winter. You still owe me for that, Matt. That's what baptize means. Drenched, completely submerged. Well, the same experience he had in the water, we need to have in the Holy Spirit. Drenched, baptized, immersed, lost. You know, I'm going to be honest. I'm not trying to sound super spiritual or anything, but... Many people last weekend, they had this same experience. We lost all track of time. It was like we were in eternity. I didn't know if it was day or night. I didn't know what day of the week it was. And normally I'm very good about remembering times and dates and appointments. You know, I was so messed up after that trip. I had a dental appointment on Wednesday, and I knew I had the dental appointment on that date. And I had my dates all mixed up. Finally, I get a call from the dentist's office. Hello, Mr. Pratt. Uh, You had an appointment today. Oh, my gosh, that's tomorrow. No, it's today. You got your dates mixed up. I'm like, oh, boy. We were lost. And listen to what it says here again. We're back in Ezekiel 47, verse 5. He measured off another thousand cubits, but now it was a river that I could not cross. Because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in. A river that no one could cross. Let me tell you something. The way God wants to move in these last days, no man is going to be able to control it. And if he tries to, it will be to his own harm and detriment. And there are people that like to try to control 
the move of God. They want to control the revival. Forget it. This you're not going to be able to control. Just jump in and let the river carry you wherever he wants to take you. You know, how many of you have heard between Quasi and myself just in the last 12 months, how many of you have heard us use the word surrender at least 100 times? I have. He says it almost every single time he stands up here. I say it almost every time I'm leading a meeting because we understand that's what it's all about. Surrender. We like to be up to our knees.